Barefooting with Sierra uses Buzzsprout. Just start with the equipment you already have and a quiet space. Add Buzzsprout and your podcast is ready to go. You'll get a great looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to show how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and more. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. Following the link in the show notes lets Buzzsprout know that I sent you, gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan, and helps support the show. The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout and get your message out to the world. Hello and welcome to episode 49 of Barefooting with Sierra. This podcast is recorded on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral land of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Ojibwe, and Dakota Sioux. I also would like to acknowledge that this land is the home to the Métis Nation of Alberta, and that I am a settler on this land. My name is Sierra Larson, better known as Barefoot Sierra. I'm a novelist, comic creator, and independent journalist, and I have been living without shoes since 2010. I created this podcast to keep my audiences in touch with all of my projects, to talk about things I care about, and to interact with the awesome people in my various professional networks. I'm going to break this podcast up into four parts, novels, comics, journalism, and barefooting, each representing a different aspect of my professional life. I'll give you updates on what I'm working on, let you know about any new works you can see, and keep you in the know about when I do free book giveaways on Amazon. In this episode, I interviewed children's book author Gina Galois. Let's get started. First up, novels. This week I'm attending a virtual writing conference hosted by Pro Writing Aid. It's all focused on the romance genre, which is definitely going to help me with the postbellum romance I'm working on. I think it'll also help me with my other non-romance specific novels, because one of the feedbacks I got with Red 72 Exodus was that the main romance in that book felt rushed and like it came out of nowhere. I do address that in the next book in the series, Red 72 Revelation, which I'm just finishing up cover design and should be out soon. And now for my interview with Gina Galois. Hi, Gina. Thanks so much for joining me on the show. Please, um, to start off, if you could tell us a little about yourself and where you're from. Hi, and thanks for having me. Um, I am from Dayton, Ohio, originally. I grew up in Beaver Creek, to be exact. And I spent a lot of time in France, and now I'm in Atlanta. So that is my my background. I lived in France for a long time. I came back to Atlanta to do graduate studies so I could be a French professor, which I did for a little while. And then I decided to become a children's book author. Or really, to be honest, I decided to write one book. And then I loved it so much, I couldn't stop. <laughs> so, so it sort of snowballed and I'm just embracing the life of being a professional possum lady and, <laughs> and children's book author. So you, you write children's books mainly about possums, which, I mean, I love possums. I've got my crazy possum lover mug over on the counter here for when we're done to drink my hot cocoa. I have a cocoa. few of those myself. I, I love them. Got a possum shirt on. Uh, what do you love about possums and why do you like writing about them? Well, it and like you said, I do write primarily about possums. That's kind of an accident. I don't really want to pigeonhole myself or possum hole. I don't know, whatever, but they, the stories just keep coming to me. I started off wanting to rehabilitate their image for the public and educate people. 
Um, and then I started with a fiction story and then there had to be a sequel to that. And now there's another one coming about possums going out at night, you know, to, to dance and it's an alphabet action story. Um, and of course there's the Halloween one that just came out. So, you know, the ideas just keep coming, but what I love about opossums and what got me interested in them is that I was editing my local or my little neighborhood newsletter and I had this power to just put whatever I wanted in there. So I started putting little informational things saying, hey, did you know possums eat 5,000 ticks a year? Did you know they're cleaner uppers? And I just sort of thought they were adorable, even though, you know, some people might argue (laughs) that they are not. (laughs) It's kind of weird when you're looking at something that you're like, Hmm, I can see how people would think this is hideous, but I love it. <laughs> and I, I kind of felt a, an attraction to them as well, because I feel like they're just these anxious souls who just want to be left alone. And I feel that deeply as well. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's kind of, you know, just the sort of hissing, backing into a corner, um, you know, showing your teeth and just hoping people will leave you alone. (laughs) We all have a possum inside of us. (laughs) I think we do. Maybe not all of us. Some of us are extroverts. (laughs) Yeah, not me. (laughs) Yeah, um, but your books are available in both English and in French. Um, I'm guessing probably because you used to be a French teacher. Can you tell us, you know, a bit more about that transition from being a French teacher into a full-time author? Um, so I quit teaching because I had kind of lost the spark, I guess. Um, I love the teaching part and being a French teacher, even though it was university level French, you know, there had to be a lot of antics and, you know, if you really want to be effective, you, and especially since you're speaking French the whole time, try not to use English. You have to be an actor, a mime, a comedian. <laughs> um, and so that prepared me very well for reading to kids and, you know, engaging them in the stories and things like that. But I just, I enjoyed the actual teaching part, just not the meetings and the grading and the honor council and things like that. So I felt like it was time for me to make a transition, but my plan was not really to be a children's author. I always wanted to write a memoir and instead I'm sort of writing the memoir of my soul, you know, (laughs) expressing all of that through possums you know, I wrote the story and then I thought, you know, it would be fun to write this in French as well. And so I did. And even though it was in rhyme, you know, I put off translating it for a really long time because I thought, oh, this is going to be a nightmare. But it actually was kind of fun. And, you know, it was a whole other kind of creativity, I guess, because some of the things had to be tweaked just a little bit to work. And, you know, sometimes I got to come up with like really cool, like instead of um, night and day in the English version, it ended up being 
the rhyme ended up being soleil and sommeil, which is sun and sleep. So, you know, I was kind of like excited about that because it's like, oh, look at this. This is fun. (laughs) Um, And a grad school friend helped me edit, you know, to make sure that all the punctuation was right and all of the word choices and all of that. And then, and then I also had a Spanish version done of that book. My friend, another friend of mine is working on a Spanish version of Mama Opossum now. She got sick for a while and that's taking a little bit longer, but I just really think that the language aspect is kind of fun. And a lot of people are interested in those because their kids go to an immersion school or something like that, or they have a French grandma or, you know, something like that. So that's just kind of cool and fun. So I do it. (laughs) Yeah. It's great to have the option of of both for sure. What was your, uh, your publishing process like? Well, I'm technically a self-publisher. So I started my own publishing company. Um, so a lot of times people will say like, oh, are you a, represent- a representative of Moonflower Press? And I would say, no, I am Moonflower Press. <laughs> um, people start their publishing companies, I think, in one way to lend legitimacy to what they're doing, because otherwise people might just sort of write you off. Um, But if you have a publishing company, then you're much fancier. So that was kind of in the middle of the process. I decided to self-publish because I'm impatient and a control freak. And and I did not want to look for an agent and wait several years for, you know, possibly something to happen. And I also wanted to, you know, choose my illustrator. I wanted to decide what was going to be in there and not take out the, you know, words that might be a little more complex or, you know, whatever. I, I just, as a, as an educator, I just believe that, you know, words, vocabulary, all of that, all of that is just extra richness. You know, even if kids don't understand every word, it's good for them to, to be exposed to that. Um, so I wanted to be in control and I started a Kickstarter, raised some money, got involved, I guess, in the possum community. It sounds really funny to say that, (laughs) but, but, you know, I, I made a lot of memes. I, I, you know, shared a lot of stuff, told people what I was doing. A lot of people were excited, you know, and people who rehab opossums, if you know anything about that world, are, you know, glad to have a resource that, that they can share with people. Some rehabbers sell it themselves to help pay for their rehabbing and stuff like that. So that was kind of exciting to be embraced by that community. I've made so many friends that way. People helped me make sure I got my facts right. I was able to ask people, you know, is this realistic? Is this? is this true? And then it just went from there. But I, you know, it's such a complicated process that I'm really still learning every day. I'm about to do my first offset print, which is where you print, you know, a thousand books, 2000 books overseas generally. And that is a very scary thing. (laughs) 
<laughs> so it's one thing to do print on demand or print a hundred of them at a time or something, but this feels like a much bigger commitment, but it's time to do it. So for sure. And yeah, I'm also self-published and a control freak. I did have a book <laughs> offer, but they wanted to retain the movie rights. So I turned them down and self-published. Oh, wow. That's because so cool. No. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I have, I have five self-published books out there and I have the rights to everything because just because you're the boss. No. <laughs> like, you know, isn't that so funny? Yeah. I just, I can't even imagine just letting my baby go yeah and not being able to say no that's not what it was supposed to be (laughs) yeah yeah it's I don't yeah (laughs) just so it's real I mean it's amazing (laughs) what you can do now by yourself I guess yes yeah how did you come up with the name moonflower Ah, I'm glad you asked that. Um, So everything, at least the first few books, you know, are all about nocturnal animals and moonflower is a night blooming flower. So I didn't really, like I said, I didn't want to get myself into a corner by naming it, you know, opossum press or something like that. (laughs) So I started looking around and, you know, just I can't even remember how I came across moonflowers, but I just thought they were beautiful, how they sort of unspiral. And I'm actually growing some right now. They're so beautiful. And they do bloom at six, seven o'clock at night and they're wilting by morning. So they smell really good. And I love the spiral shape of them and the night blooming part. So I just, it was very symbolic and just the perfect name for (laughs) for what I do love it yeah and so you have a new book that just came out I don't want to be scary on Halloween can you tell us about this book yes so as I said you know I'm trying to um just make sure the possum love keeps spreading and growing going along with the whole thing about like oh possums are ugly rats they're hideous they're dirty Um, trying to dispel that myth, I thought, well, what if this, you know, adorable little possum was, you know, loved Halloween, but didn't want to be scary because everyone every day thinks that she's scary because she has these big teeth and sharp claws and and whatnot. So um, I just thought it would be really funny to imagine, you know, oh, I'm going to dress up as a bird. Oh, darn. I look like a crazy pterodactyl. <laughs> or, or I'm going to be a dolphin. Oh, darn. I look like a shark. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she just keeps wanting to, um, and her friends are helping her. They're determined they're going to find something right. But every time they're surprised by the unexpectedly frightening results. <laughs> Um, so then in the end, not to be a spoiler or anything, you know, she decides just to go as herself and suddenly she is the cutest thing anyone's ever seen. So, you know, what could be more heartwarming than that? (laughs) I love it. That's, that's amazing. Just embrace your inner self and 
I love that. Yeah, she she just puts a little flower, and then the first person they go trick or treating to is just you know can't believe how cute she is. Aww. So it was perfect. It just really worked out. I mean, it actually worked out better than I had in my head. You know, <laughs> by the time that is the glory of an editor and and stuff like that. That you know you can really just make it everything it can be. Absolutely. What was the creative process like for this book? Well, I think I started out, I actually started out wanting it to be very simple and very sparse, you know, like not many words. And the editor sort of encouraged me to write more, I guess, to explain a little bit more about what was going on, put some dialogue and things like that. And then it kind of expanded way beyond what I wanted. And then she told me, you know, she helped me sort of order the, the costumes that she tried on. So we sort of went from magical stuff to, okay, this isn't working. Let's try just regular animals. And then that wasn't working. And so, so she ends up with herself, but in the process of, you know, putting the book all together with the illustrations and everything, I actually didn't have enough room so the text was going to be a little small and squished and it just didn't look all that great so I ended up cutting out a lot of words again but you know it's it's interesting how that happens you think oh I can't cut this out and then you have to so it's like well okay (laughs) and you sort of just hone it down to what is absolutely necessary but still keeping the the playfulness and the silliness and and all of that. So, so that's how it went. Yeah, absolutely. And is this going to be available in French as well as English? Hopefully next year. So it was a big rush. You know, I, I had hoped it would be out in August, but it was mid-September and I actually have orders waiting right now, but I don't even have the books in hand yet. So, you know, it's awesome that everybody's excited about it, but I'm really crossing my fingers that I get a big box of books on Friday instead of like Sunday or Monday. So, um, yes, it will be available in French, but it was so rushed, you know, the, the illustrator got done and then I was trying to find a book designer because my normal one wasn't available. So, I found another guy who was fantastic, but you know, those things just take, everything just takes a long time and there's a lot of back and forth and you want it to be just right. So you have to just, you know, set aside your impatience and make sure that it is as good as it can be. But I did not have time to get the French version and, you know, it, it would have not been ready in time and all that. So I'm going to focus on that for next year. There will eventually be one. Yes. For sure. Totally get that delay. I'm, I'm working with a cover designer right now for a, a novel that I thought I would have out by the end of August and it'll get out there. It'll it get will. There. It's, I mean, I am not a patient person, but the first illustrator I worked with who I, you know, I still work with her. I love her. Um, she just, you know, is a true artist. And sometimes she flies away and then she flies back into my life. And I just have learned to embrace that 
way of doing things. And it's okay, you know, it, it helps me work on my, <laughs> my patient's problem. And I, you know, just try to be Zen and know that a lot of times the delays end up causing things to be better because you have more time to think about the book blurb and more time to think about whatever. So it's all good. For sure. Yeah. So on the the French side, um, my dad speaks Spanish and he kind of really wanted to instill that in me as a child. So he'd buy yeah. me books in Spanish as a kid. Like I remember him reading me Go Dog Go in in oh, Spanish as a kid. <laughs> really wanted to incorporate like teaching me Spanish as part of our time spent together awesome. when I was a kid. And it, it took actual applied effort over several years, like as a teenager and an adult, like to get to the level of fluency that I'm at now. But I had that foundation to build on because of that, you know, effort that he put in when I was a kid. What do you think is the importance of literature in another language for developing language skills as children? That's a really good question. Cause I have two kids that are bilingual. My husband is French. And so I almost never hear him speak English except when he's in a work call or something. We're doing that. And just seeing the way our kids' minds work is amazing. My, my oldest son or my son, who's eight and a half now, when he was you know, two and a half, three years old, we would say something to him in French, like, you know, kind of a complex sentence. And he would think about it for a second and then turn around and ask us in the other language, you know, wait, why is blah, 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 blah. And you're just like, how did you, how did you compute all of that and spit it right back out at me in another language? So that is really just fascinating to watch. They, I mean, there, there's the vocabulary can be similar, but also different. I don't know if you have found this in Spanish, but I mean, I'm, I'm trying to learn Spanish right now, but you're a little bit different in a different language. You have to express things a little bit differently. So there, I mean, there's talk of, you know, how you actually have a different personality in a different language. And with the cultural differences and things like that, it's, it's just a richness that you can't get anywhere else. You know more vocabulary because certain words that might be obscure in English are common in Spanish or French. And so you know those words and it just, yeah, I, I just, vocabulary wise, um, I think knowing more about the world, knowing more about um, just having that dexterity in your brain, I think is, is amazing. And it's fun, you know, learning songs and all that stuff and, and reading books and being able to understand them is, is priceless. I think it just opens a whole new world. So fantastic. Well, it's been so great chatting with you, Gina, where can people find your books? Oh, they can find my books on my website at moonflowerpress.com. They can find them in my Etsy store, which I think is called Artemis Opossum. I did not do a good job of streamlining all of that, <laughs> but there, I have an Etsy shop, which is linked from my webpage. Um, and then I also have Amazon. So there's several different places and yeah. 
I also do class visits and things like that. So I just read to a group yesterday. That was super fun. I have lots of stuffed animals and things like that, that I show. And it's really exciting talking to the kids about, you know, how everything happens. They're interested in all of that too. So yeah. Thank you for having me. This was great. Yeah, it's been super fun. I I always love having people on to talk about possums. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime. (laughs) Now on to comics. Inktober has been a blast so far. I've done so many fun comics based on the Inktober prompts. I drew a Sphinx cat with a twinkle tush booty jewel, a raven saying nevermore, a ghost possum, Possum Paul trying to convince Petunia and Robbie to watch Jurassic World for the thousandth time, and more. Inktober is a daily challenge to create an ink drawing based on a one-word prompt every day in October. So I'm creating daily drawings, at least, if not full comics, every single day this month. Yesterday's prompt was pick. So I did a comic based on our real-life trip to the pumpkin patch where my son fell in love with all these weird-looking pumpkins and we ended up leaving with no less than 10 pumpkins. In yesterday's comic, Paul is staggering around with a stack of pumpkins taller than he is and he says, Okay, Ma, I picked my pumpkins! You can see most of my Inktober posts on my comic Instagram, World of Possums. I'm saving the best as Patreon exclusives, including today's, which has Robbie Raccoon double-fisting sour gummy worms into his mouth, which you can find at patreon.com slash possumpete. In comics news, New York Comic Con took place last weekend in person at reduced capacity. All attendees over the age of 12 were required to show proof of vaccination, Everyone under 12 had to show a recent negative COVID test. Masks were required for all attendees. And even the vendor booths were socially distanced, and the aisles between booths were wider than typical to allow people more room between each other. Still, with 150,000 attendees, that's a no thank you from me, as the Delta variant continues to decimate our healthcare system. I'm out of my paranoia stage, where I was only doing the essentials, I just don't think it's a good idea for me personally, as someone with an autoimmune condition, to be at mass gatherings right now. I would be much more comfortable going to an event like Powerhouse Comic Con, which took place Saturday in Pleasanton, California. They had plenty of celebrity and comic book author guests, a cosplay contest with a $200 cash prize, and trick-or-treating. Small conventions don't have the same feel as big ones. They don't have the glam, the big-name vendors or guests... But they're a much more intimate feel with local vendors and these small-name guests that will take much more time talking to you. They're not in a time crunch to meet the 10,000 other people that bought photo op tickets. I know I've said this before in other episodes, but it's still true. There are perks to both types of conventions. But in a pandemic, I know the smaller cons are the ones I'm going to feel more comfortable at if I was going in person. All right, next up is journalism. In current events, the states of Virginia and Maryland have declined Washington, D.C.'s request to enforce payment of photo radar tickets on drivers from their states, stating that it would not be a good use of their police forces. Both states currently enforce tickets issued by officers under the Non-Resident Violators Compact, but photo-generated tickets are not enforceable under that act. Studies on camera traffic enforcement have repeatedly shown that it is not effective in creating safer driving, reducing speeding, or reducing red light speeding. In fact, the Virginia Department of Transportation's study found that accidents increased by one-third in intersections where red light cameras were installed, 
and only 8% of accidents were caused by excessive speed. I personally have gotten three photo radar tickets ever, and all three were because I was going 60 in a 50, not knowing the speed limit had changed from 60 to 50 on that road because I was unfamiliar with the area and the signs weren't clear. Sorry, DC, doesn't look like you're going to be getting those unpaid photo ticket dollars anytime soon. But if you really want to make a difference in safer driving, you can increase the time the lights are yellow, have an interval between lights turn red and when they turn green for the other drivers, have more frequent speed limit signs posted, and post speed reader boards, which allow drivers to police themselves. The Governor General of Canada, Mary May Simon, is doing a state visit to Germany from October 17th to 21st. She will be visiting Berlin and Frankfurt and will represent Canada at the Frankfurt Book Fair. Jealous. In Berlin, she will meet with German President Frank Walter Steinmeier and Chancellor Angela Merkel. According to the announcement on the government website, the meetings will focus on innovation in creative industries, promotion of women and youth, and reconciliation with Indigenous peoples. I feel like the reconciliation is definitely something we can learn a lot about from Germany. I think they've handled theirs a lot better than we have. As a side note, I did find it amusing on the government website that they mentioned this visit is happening in October, which is when Canadians celebrate, quote, the nine-day Oktoberfest period to recognize the outstanding contributions of people of German descent to Canadian society, close quote. I'm pretty sure the only contributions of people of German descent to Canadian society that people are celebrating during Oktoberfest are Becks and Bratwurst. Someone might want to inform the government. Last but not least, let's talk about barefooting. My barefoot adventures this week took me to Prairie Gardens Adventure Farm near Bonacourt, Alberta, which is where my son fell in love with all those pumpkins. There's a photo from our visit on my Instagram, Sierra the Barefoot. And while you're there, you'll also see me caught in a snow flurry because we had our first snowfall of the season. In barefoot news, Rave Reviews, a product review blog, used a social media analysis tool called Strength to determine the most hated brands in the world according to negative tweets about user experience. According to their study, Uber is the most hated brand in the world, with many tweets about expensive rates, feeling unsafe, unprofessional behavior from drivers, and canceled rides. The number two most hated brand? Lego. All those tweets about stepping on Legos barefoot add up. Other brands on the most hated list include Domino's, Amazon, Netflix, and ESPN. British man Ben Tidy has spent the last month walking barefoot along the 530-kilometer southwest coast path to raise money for Choose Love, a charity that supplies refugees with clothing, blankets, and support services. Of walking barefoot, Tidy told BBC, you maybe enjoy the walk more because you can't get lost in your mind. You are 100% in the moment, one step after another. It's almost like you have a greater appreciation for nature because you have an extra sense. You are not just seeing and hearing, but you are also feeling the path you are walking on. I feel much the same about walking barefoot. So, solidarity. Tidy raised nearly $6,000 for Choose Love with his barefoot walk, which commenced September 1st and ended October 9th. Well done, Ben Tidy. That's all for this week's episode. I'll be back next week with an interview with Melanie Baker of Junkyard Prints. Thanks so much for listening in. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to sierratherefootgirl at gmail.com. 
Thank you to Legion X for my intro and outro music. You can find me on Twitter, at Sierra Barefoot, and on TikTok, at Sierra is Barefoot. All of my books are available on Amazon and on my website, sierratherefootgirl.com. My Patreon is patreon.com slash possumpete. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening and rate and review. Until next time, this has been Barefooting with Sierra. <laughs>